We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 176. The Yankees have swept the Twins, kicked them back to Minnesota. It might have been a preview of the wild card series. If it is, you got to be feeling pretty good as a Yankees fan because they beat them every which way. Monday, they beat them in a close in a close pitcher's duel. Tuesday, um, Sabathia pitched great, and then today, a blowout. Well, I guess we have nothing else to talk about. We just went through the, uh, the entire thing. It's perfect. That's it. No, this is this was perfect. This was exactly what the Yankees needed. The Minnesota Twins come into town, and the Yankees just pretty much take it to them. And there were some close games, which is good. I think the Yankees actually showed some uh, some moxie this weekend or this uh, this week as well when the Twins came in and showed that they can actually win a close game, which is something we haven't seen in a while with the amount of one run losses. So this was a huge confidence boost for the team, and I think on the on the fan base side, a lot of expectations have changed. I still feel obliged to say we're still going for the division. The goal is to win the AL East. Girardi is spewing that stuff. Everyone in the organization is saying our goal is still to win the AL East. And the Yankees have done everything in their power to do that. They're 
eight and ten in their last or eight and two in their last ten ball games. They've been playing unbelievable baseball in the month of September. The only problem is the Red Sox are doing the same thing. So it's just really hard to catch them right now. Seven games up on the wild card, though. That's I'm not saying it's locked up, but feeling pretty confident that the Yankees are going to be hosting that one game wild card if it comes down to that. But like I said, still obliged to save for now with 10 games left in the season. We're still going for that division. Yeah, definitely still are going for the division. That's not changed. The Yankees keep winning ball games, but like you said, unfortunately, the freaking Red Sox win ball games with like extra inning wins on wild pitch. Like they're winning in in ridiculous ways too. It's it's starting to really piss me off. The Orioles are starting to really piss me off. The Rays they already stink. pissed me off. Yeah, so these guys are are just laying down basically, um, and and uh, the Red Sox are taking advantage of it. But the Red Sox. I mean, got to give them credit on the stretch, too. They're winning the games that they need to win. They, they must feel the, the heat of the Yankees because the Yankees have put the accelerator on, and uh, unfortunately, it just hasn't happened. But, 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 the wild card, like you said, that's locked up. I mean, I mean, it's locked up. Let's Knock all on wood. Knock let's, on that wood. Let's all, let's all be honest. <laughs> that shit's locked up. Well, uh, yeah, 10 games left with a seven-game lead. It's, it's fairly locked up. Yeah, I would, this would be an epic collapse if that were to not be the case. I oh, do not that, see that coming. <laughs> Let's not even go down that rabbit hole at this point. <laughs> but um, the uh, the division's still in play. There's th- here's the weird thing because we have some uh, we have some th- some things to straighten out with with if there's a tie because I'm I'm actually torn on on how we finish the season. Yes, and I think I know where you're going with that. Before that, though, we've been reminding people about September 30th event. We are hosting an event at the Bronx Brewery before the game against the Blue Jays. It's a 4 o'clock game. For 59 bucks. you get a game ticket in Section 205 or 206. That's the second level in right field, right in the outfield, where Didi hit his home run today, right behind Judge. Last time out, you can watch the video on all our social media channels. We had Susan Waldman, big heads, John Sterling, big heads, Mike Francesa, big heads. It was an awesome time. In that uh, 59 bucks, you get the game ticket. A t-shirt that was designed by Scott Chase for 28. It's fire. Plus, you get two free beers on us at the pregame party and then $4 pints after that. What more do I need to say, Scott? Nothing. It's just a perfect way to celebrate this amazing season. It's a, you know, we're we're gonna be basically pushing these guys into the playoffs. I still believe, I do believe that that weekend is going to be significant in the division because I'm still holding on to this the fact that the, the Red Sox are going to lose a couple games this week. And the Yankees are just going to keep pressing forward. So I really do think that while I don't think the wild card is in question anymore, I do believe that this division is still going to come down to that last weekend. So um, we very well could have a very crucial game. If not, nonetheless, it's 59 bucks. Come watch a game, have hang out. We got about 100 people right now signed up. Um, it's going to be fun at the brewery. And then there's playoff baseball around the corner. So it's a beautiful way to celebrate and have some fun. It's bad on you, MLB, for scheduling having no Yankees-Red Sox games in the month of September. Couldn't you have foreseen that this was going to come down? Do not do that again next year. At least put one series late in September that we can potentially have. Imagine if the Yankees were playing the Red Sox the last weekend of the season, and it was two or three games. That would be unbelievable. Well, theoretically, I mean, everybody thought that the Blue Jays were going to have some say in this division, right? I mean, they, they pretty much fell off the face of the planet, but... The Blue Jays were supposed to do something, at least a little bit, um, and they've just not panned out, obviously. So what, what could have been a very big series between the Blue Jays, if they were in the thick of things, is turning out to be, um, you know, the, the decisions will be handled at two different stadiums on, the, on, those, uh, on those days. So I believe you know. 
that you and I declared the Blue Jays dead after their one and nine start. That was back in the second week of April. Yeah, it's pretty smart. Pretty smart baseball guys right here to to know that <laughs> to see the to see the writing on the wall that early in the season. Yes. I mean, it was pretty obvious that their entire pitching staff was going to be hurt. We also want to take a second to remind you guys to rate and review the podcast. We tell you on every episode, and you guys are coming through recently. There's some awesome reviews Scott and I were just going through. We do still plan on reading them on air. We just have to figure out the right way to do that. We want to make it sort of a funny, fun uh, segment. So we've, we're, that will be coming, but keep those reviews coming. It, it's awesome. It helps us out tremendously. It boosts us in the ratings, which gets more listeners, which get, allows Scott and I to make more and better shows. Also, light up the voicemail line, 646-480-0342. The Yankees just, like we said, pretty much clinched the, one, the, the home field wild card against whoa, the Twins. Whoa, by whoa. I, can, I can say this. You can't say this. I can say that. You can't say that. <laughs> Fire up those voicemails, 646-480-0342. Let us know how pumped you are for that one-game playoff. Also, submit mailbag questions at bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. We had a great set of uh, mailbags last week, Scott, on, on, on uh, Monday's show, so keep those coming as well. Yeah, and I know the voicemail line was, was definitely getting hit up quite a bit today. I sent out a tweet from the podcast email or uh, Twitter account, and uh, it, it was definitely getting lit up. So keep those coming. Let's get some, uh, let's get some thoughts entering what we think is going to be the playoffs, and uh, let us, you know, give us a, give or take 30 seconds, and we will roll those all out this weekend. We didn't put them on last week because, honestly, there were a few of them, and some of them were, like, the sound was terrible. I don't know. Sometimes you guys are calling from, like, a stairwell, and it, it sounds like the – something's happening. I don't know what's Under going on. Under their desk at work or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's like a Costanza sleeping in your desk situation. Yeah. But um, but yeah, we're going to roll them out. We should have a, a good amount of them for this week. So, And that's a, that's a, one of my favorite parts of the show. As, the, as one of the guys on the show, that's my favorite part of the show. <laughs> because I don't like listening to myself. I like listening to you guys. That's what my, my dad actually told me his favorite part is the voicemail segment. I'm like, I'm not even talking during that segment. <laughs> that's, that's pretty telling. Uh, one thing I, I'd like to hear in the voicemail. So this this might not even be a rant, but just a take. Girardi's going to have an interesting thing with the lineup because the whole first base, third base situation with Headley, Frazier, and Greg Bird all hitting right now and all playing pretty well. Only two of those guys can potentially play in that wild card. So let us know in the voicemail line who you think should play in that one game wild card and also throw in some fire takes in there. All right, Scott, you mentioned briefly that we need to clarify if the Yankees and Red Sox finish tied at the end of the season. Um, we had said a while ago that tiebreaker would automatically go to the Yankees because they have the season series. That's false. Wrong. I thought, I thought I read that somewhere. I thought I saw someone legitimate tweet that. So even though they may have done that, it was wrong. They will have to play a one-game playoff to decide who the division winner is, and then the loser of that game will play the wild-card game. So I think where you were going with this is – do we even want that? Because that totally right. screws the losing team. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's actually something very interesting to look at because if you have to go into a situation like that, you're playing on Saturday, you're playing on Sunday, then you got to go and play on Monday against the Red Sox if we were to tie them. At home, but, it would be at Yankee Stadium. It would be at Yankee Stadium, but you still have to do a one-game play-in play game at that point to get to the wild-card game. Uh, for the lose, if the if the losing team, if the team who loses that has to play the next day, <laughs> so the the potential of going to that game, losing that game, and then playing the next day, yeah, is kind of crazy. I don't know. It just 
I feel like I want to play in one play-in game, <laughs> not two. Well, technically, you're only in one play-in game because Te- even if you lose the first game, you it's double elimination, essentially. Right. But who would you throw in that one game, uh, division game? Would you throw Severino? Would you throw Sonny Gray? Would you sort of hedge your bets and say, we're going to save Severino just in case we have a do-or-die tomorrow night, and then if we don't and we win, great, then we have Severino ready to go in game one of the division series. There's a whole... Uh, it, it totally screws both the Yankees and Red Sox um, for not that much benefit. I mean, you benefit that you automatically go to the division series, but you get that already if you're the wild card team. So for the Yankees right now, looking at it, three games behind Boston, Boston's winning again. It's really not that much gain to go play that uh, that one game division playoff. No, because you have to get so the Yankees would have to gain four games now in ten days. Uh, eleven days. T- eleven days. Ten games. Eleven games. Eleven, 11 games. games. So that's that's a lot. That's a lot to do. I mean, granted, three is a lot to do, but four is even. I mean, it's one more than three, but it's a lot to do. So. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not totally. I'm not totally uh, set on winning that division at this point. When you're seeing what would be in front of you if you were to tie them, it's it's almost like you you don't want to tie them because you'd rather just play the one game and know what you're doing. See, what's worse, knowing what you're doing, or not knowing what you're doing, and then playing one and then going home, or just playing against the Red Sox and then having the opportunity if you do lose to go another day. I don't know. I don't really know. I, to me, I'd rather set myself up for success yeah, and play and, in that and one if, game. And if you lose that first game, it's like, and then you're playing the next night, that's almost like consolation prize. I feel like it's a complete letdown. Um, and it totally benefits the second wildcard team, which is seven games behind you right now. Those second wildcard teams, the Twins, the Angels, the Rangers, possibly the Mariners are still hanging around. They really have no business... Um, playing with the Yankees. The Yankees are a much better, more complete team. That doesn't mean they'll definitely win because one one game, anything can happen. But the Yankees are a way better team than all those teams, and we saw it this week against the Twins. Yeah, so that's, that's the uh, conundrum, I guess, for the team. I mean, granted, you're going to get balls to the wall every day. These guys are going to be going after it. And here's the deal. I mean, if they see a, a little chink in the armor, if they see that that Boston loses a game tomorrow or the next day and the Yankees keep winning and they're one out, like it's right there in front of you. There's a lot more pressure. So if you win, if Boston loses and you keep winning, even one or two games, there's a lot more pressure than on Boston. Um, and, uh, you know, good things can happen then for the Yankees because I feel like that kind of pressure with a team that's as thin as Boston is, granted they're top heavy, they're, their starters are phenomenal, they're good, they're good. Um, but once you get beyond any of that stuff, and honestly, beyond Chris Sale, it's tough, tough sledding for them. So I don't know. It's an interesting, it's a very interesting situation. What do you do if you're Girardi and it's Sunday, the last game of the season, and you're one game behind the Red Sox? Do you throw Severino? No. On Sunday? On Sunday. Hell no. What if you're tied with the Red Sox? Um, man, see, that's a... No. So then, I mean, so in that sense, then you really don't give a shit if you win the division. Well, if you th- I, I, because, I think because if you're then tied. you burn, you're burning Severino on oh, totally Sunday, know. and I then know. you, if you, if you do lose on Monday, you're really in, in you're really I mean, screwed. Granted, <laughs> granted. Screwed. Well, let's talk about this real quick because granted, 
we're, we're talking about Severino being the end-all, be-all. And, it's and not, the, yeah. Well, yeah, we're kind of contradicting what we were talking about last week because what we were talking about around Thursday was that Girardi does have options. He does have the ability to go um, with Tanaka, who's pitching a hell of a lot better, Sonny Gray, who's got good postseason experience, CeCe, who I guarantee he'd be very confident in throwing out in a game like that, especially against the Red Sox. Red Sox, yeah, yeah, that just piqued my interest. Maybe you throw CeCe if you go into that one-game playoff. So it's it's he's got options. It's not like Severino's the the only thing. Whereas you're the Red Sox and you have Chris Sale, like that's your guy that you feel confident in. There aren't right. very many people behind him that you feel super confident in. So you know it puts the Red Sox in more of a predicament to me than the Yankees because because of the Yankees' depth. I mean, this is just again speaks to how deep this team is in every facet of the game right now. I mean, they're deep on the starting rotation. They're very deep in the bullpen, and their offense can match up with anybody. They're deep. It, practically every position. It, while you're right that Severino's not the end-all, be-all, it, they, we're going to talk about this a little bit later in the show, but the way they shuffled and then reshuffled the rotation this week tells you that Severino is their guy. So yes. they're doing everything they can to make sure Severino is lined up for Tuesday, what is it, October 3rd, as the, as the one-game wild card. So that's what, they're, that's what they're building towards. So while he's not the end-all, be-all, that's what there is in their mind. So maybe, yeah, they, they still plan for that, and then they could throw Sabathia or Tanaka or Sonny Gray or somebody, and you'd feel confident with any one of those guys, but you're not as confident as you are in Severino. And that's the thing. I think what they're doing right now, and I think what Joe is doing, is he's got a plan for that wild card game because right now you're three games back, and you can't do anything but win games, and you can't control what the Red Sox do. So control is completely out of their hands at this point. What they can control is is the fact that they are going to play on that Tuesday night game and who is going to throw and how it sets up for that Tuesday night game. Everything else, to me, what I think Joe will do is, kind of like you said, if, if there were a game on Sunday that would, you know, if we were tied and, you know, we had to win and the Red Sox had to lose, I think Joe would just kind of have confidence in whoever he would throw at that point, it would, whether it's CC or, or Tanaka or even Sonny Gray. I, I think it, at that point, you're just kind of rolling with what you've got, going to put your best effort out there, and, you know, kind of let the cards, you know, lay as they are. So, and, and then you're still set up for that Tuesday. That's the game plan. Yeah. And the way MLB has organized the schedule the last weekend, they're all flex games. So it's not like we can even wait around to see what the Red Sox do because they're going to be, they're going to be first pitch at the same exact time. Yes, most likely. That's what they'll do. Um, the, but the, the Saturday games will be flexed out. So you'll be able to at least know beforehand. I mean, that Saturday game that we have tickets to, could be a 7 o'clock game. They could flex it from a 4 to a 7. That's a possibility um, to put one of them in prime time if the Red Sox were to lose. I don't know what time the Red Sox game is that Saturday, but you know, leading up to that weekend, depending on what happens this week uh, or next week, then I think you'll see some of these games shift. The reality is if they end up do flexing it, that me- that's kind of good news for the Yankees. That means that they're in a position to maybe win the division. No, exactly. That means it's a more it's a higher... Uh, a higher intensity game. The the game means something and they want to put it in prime time. So that's a good thing if the Yankees get flexed to a later time because you can't flex earlier from what I understand. You can flex later and that would be just really to prime time it. From what we understand. And also, I'm just sorry for uh, for throwing out there that the Yankees would automatically get that tiebreaker. I apologize to everyone. I don't know if people... I know I told that to a lot of people. So, <laughs> so there's egg on my face. Just know that. All right. Well, the bottom line is the Yankees took care of business. Monday night was the was the first start because when you go with Jaime Garcia against his former team, that's that's that one you got a guy with a chip on his shoulder who's going in 
He's got two chips on his shoulder, actually. He's got a chip on each shoulder. One against the Twins for getting rid of him after, what, six days. And the other one for Girardi pulling him so early. You know damn well he wanted to go out there and pitch a ridiculous game. Dude nutted up. It was his best start in a Yankee uniform. Five and two-thirds innings pitched. Four hits, one run, and it was an unearned run. Nine strikeouts. He struck out the side in the first inning. I was at the game on Monday night, and I was I was dumbfounded, shocked at he was him striking out the side. I did not imagine that Jaime Garcia had that sort of uh, that sort of stuff. I didn't know he had that hate in his heart for the Twins, but apparently he does, and the hate in the heart for being shown up on uh, in in public by Joe Girardi, because I guarantee that was that was something that he did not like. That uh that that blood that blood Hispanic blood started boiling over and he started like you know the only way for me to show it is on the field and I'm going to prove these guys wrong and he started screaming at them in Spanish it's beautiful I love it one he pitched very, very well maybe he gave the confidence to some people that he could be a long guy not saying that's the case but <laughs> just saying he's he's auditioning for that at this point too this game was interesting, this Monday game, because this was a, a must-win for the Twins. They had Irvin Santana going, who's their number one pitcher. He's probably going to get the ball in a wild-card situation against Jaime Garcia, who isn't even the Yankees' number five. He's probably the Yankees' number six. If you're the Twins and you want any sniff, if you want to sniff that first wild-card spot, you basically had to come in here and sweep the Yankees. So Monday's was a crucial game. Santana pitched okay, although I feel like the Yankees had him on the ropes. They just couldn't get to him. Judge hit the home run in the first inning, and, and he kind of settled in a little bit. But this was a must-win game for the Twins, and, and the Yankees got it done. No, no no doubt about it. And the Twins just came out like, uh, I mean, you, like you said, they had everything to gain from this series, every single thing to gain this series, um, and everything to lose. I mean, it was it was such a crucial situation. To me, it told you a lot about what that Twins team is, honestly. Like, I just remember, what did I say last time? Send those little bitches back to Minnesota because that's what they are, and that's exactly what they've proved to be. They did not show up. The Yankees took care of them. And Jaime Garcia going out there, I don't know if that's an indictment as much on Garcia coming out and throwing really well or the Twins just not having a good approach and game plan for Jaime freaking Garcia. Whatever it was, yeah. But what did you think of Santana's performance, though? Because I was, I was a little. I'm thinking back on it. It's like I, I feel like the Yankees. That's a frustrating game because they had runners on base, and again, they just couldn't come through with the hits. They got the two runs, which is all they needed. But if they're probably going to see him in the one game wild card if they play Minnesota. Yeah, I, he's just one of those guys who's been around for a long time. He he knows how to pitch. And he knows how to get in and out of spots. I mean, I feel like he's a guy who's very confident in his abilities. He knows um, just different situations. And he's been through so many of them. He's been, he's been on a lot of teams now. Um, Anaheim. The, yep. No, I think they're just Anaheim and the Twins, right? Uh, I thought he was in the National League for a minute, too. Possibly. He, he's been around for a, a while. And the guy is just a, one of those crafty veteran pitchers. So does it surprise me that he comes out and pitches well and pitches – um, you know, to the the detriment of the the Yankees and, and making you know finding their weaknesses and really hitting on those. He's got good accuracy. The guy knows how to throw the ball over the plate. And when you have guys like that, if they're on and mixing up their pitches, they're going to be harder to hit. I think those are the type of pitchers that the, that this lineup is a lot more susceptible to, um, rather than an overpowering guy. I think the overpowering guys the Yankees can match up pretty well with. Um, it's the guys who can nibble, throw a lot of strikes, and and can outcraft you. Those are the guys that scare me again with our lineup. Mm, the Dallas Keuchel, crafty, lefty, they're just frustrating as hell kind of pitchers. Yeah, well, plus we have a lot of young guys, too, especially when we're talking about a postseason 
situation or a, you know, a playoff like game, they're most likely in the beginning of the game, at least is going to come out pressing a little bit. I mean, that's to be expected. So when you have a bunch of young guys either overswinging or gripping the bat too much or just trying to do too much too early, and you got a crafty guy out there who's going to just throw one more changeup when in a fastball count, you know that's that's the guy that's going to get a lot of swings and misses or at least get guys off balance uh, when you have an offense that's trying to do too much too early. So, you know, hopefully the blend of, of vets and young guys can kind of settle that down, and we don't see that type of thing. But a lot of times you do see that type of uh, that type of outcome with a with a young lineup. I'm just looking at uh, Santana's baseball reference page. If you had to guess, what year was he a rookie? Santana was a rookie in 2006. Oh, that's good. It's pretty good. It's 2005. He's been around 13 years. The Angels for a long time, then made a stint in Kansas City and then Atlanta and then Minnesota. Um, you, you said he's a crafty veteran, knows how to do a lot of things. One thing he doesn't know how to do is pass PED tests. Oh yeah, he's a he's a PED guy. See, I don't even I can't even remember who PED guys are and who they're not. Yeah, he signed um, a contract in Minnesota and then immediately got suspended. Yeah, well, that's a shame. Does is he the one that has no, like has like five names too? Is that like his real name or no, did he change uh, names? No, you're thinking of Farsto Carmona, right? Who used to be? I don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a couple. It was a Minnesota Twins, but he was a lefty uh, Twins pitcher, right? Oh, oh no. Who am I thinking of? Who's the I guy that no I think he came up? I think he was there when uh, Johan Santana was there, too. Can't think of his name. Not Francisco can... Liriano. Liriano yes, doesn't yes. Have, no, he doesn't have multiple names. The guy I'm thinking of, Carmona, was from Cleveland. And oh, yeah, I yeah, think yeah, yeah. Carmona was his first name he told everyone, and then he gave everyone a new name, his real name, whatever. Michael Williams? Um, <laughs> uh, quickly, we got to talk about Batances on Monday. He looked terrible. Could not throw strikes. He only threw six Pitches for strikes out of 17 balls, um, out of 17 pitches. Walked two batters, hit a guy, loaded the bases. Chapman had to come in and dig out of his mess. I was looking up some numbers on Batances and Chapman, and, and just by the eye test, I was like, I don't think they've each been performing at the same time, and it's pretty true. They had a good April. Both of them had a good April. But then in May, Chapman had a 10.8 ERA. Batances was literally lights out, zero ERA. June, Chapman comes back and his lights out, 1.93 ERA. Batances is up to four and a half. July, Chapman has a good July. Batances has a bad July. Chapman has a terrible August. He gets demoted from the closer role. Batances' lights out, 1.5 ERA. Now, September, Chapman is lights out again, and Batances has an 8.53 ERA. What the hell is going on? Why can't we get our eighth and ninth guys pitching well at the same time? I don't know, but throughout that that uh, that last stint, ever since we've gotten David Robertson, that guy's been pretty much lights out. He's had maybe one or two bad little outings. Nothing like what Patantis. Patantis, when he's bad, he's freaking terrible. You cannot have a guy coming in in a crucial situation, walking people and and just not throwing strikes. You can't have a guy in an eighth inning coming in with a tie game and walking guys. It just cannot happen. You cannot bring that guy in. So I don't know what Joe's got to do this week, this, uh, this, this next week of baseball, a week and a half of baseball, to get him right, or whatever the hell Batanzas needs to do to get him right. But this guy cannot be uh, brought in in crucial situations if he's not throwing strikes. And he can't throw the fastball for a strike, which is freaking baffling. Like, we all know that his best pitch is that curveball. That's the one he feels the most comfortable with. But he can't throw the fastball over the plate. It's, it's mind-boggling how you can't throw a, uh, a fastball over the plate. It really is it's kind of crazy. And it's not a secret anymore. It's out. And do you remember back in the All-Star game, Bryce Harper saying all you got to do is take against this guy and he's going to walk you? 
That's when it all really started for Betances. He wasn't able to throw his fastball for a strike. And I don't give a crap. We've said this before, and like you just said, I don't care how good your curveball is. If you don't have a fastball that you can throw for a strike, you're not going to get anybody out. And Your curveball means nothing if you can't throw uh, your 100-mile-an-hour your fastball over the plate. It means right. nothing. Right. Um, he's got to show it, and he hasn't been able to show it. And I think what Joe's going to have to do is pitch him in like he did um, Chapman in the sixth, maybe even the fifth inning for the next 10 games. And if he's looking good again, then maybe you have confidence using him in a close game in the wild card game or the playoffs. But I'm sorry, Batances, you have lost your setup man duties right now. Chapman's been great, so he's the closer again. I would much rather see uh, David Robertson, Chad Green, or Tommy Canely in a close game right now just because they can actually throw the ball over the plate. No, it's it's got to be done, and it's got to be a swift action. Joe can't be dicking around with this with this type of move. Batances, if he's if he's going to um, take such a hard line like he did with Chapman, then why not do it with Batances? Because Batances is obviously jacked up right now. We got to get these two guys going. Chapman looked like a man possessed on Monday night. I mean, the the way that he was doing that stare down after jacking it up to like 104 miles an hour. By the way, I looked up the um, I was looking at some of the stat cast numbers today too. And I was just curious as to where Chapman was as hardest ball thrown. Because honestly, I thought that if I if you were to predict of the top twenty of the top twenty fastest uh, balls thrown this year in Major League Baseball, how many of them do you think it was Chapman? I would I would say 50 percent. All of them. 20. All of them? Yeah, it might have been twenty five. It was it was all every single pitcher every single pitch that he threw uh, or that was on that stack cast list was Rawls Chapman and then I think it got back down to the the next guy was uh, was Joe Kelly and it was uh, like one oh two one but everybody else, every every other pitch above that was Chapman I thought that like this is something that, that we I think sometimes forget like we all know that this guy throws really hard but at the same time we all have thought that the league is caught up to the type of fastball and yes the league is throwing a lot harder the league is throwing at 100 miles an hour up. And and I'm talking about the top 20. I mean, there's a, you know, it's like 103 to 104, all of those 20 pitches. So he's still a level above everybody else when it comes to velocity. He's still got that one more tick than every single other person in Major League Baseball. So when he is on, he is still that dominant guy. And I heard him talking about how he changed his grip back uh, to uh, different on his four seam and he's getting more of that life on the ball. There's just a couple of different, like, it sounded like it was more of a grip thing than it was a mechanical thing, which is very interesting. Um, but yeah, he's a guy that is just absolutely dominant. And if Patances can't do it in the eighth inning, you got to flush him back and you got to do it fast because there's only a week left of baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. We had always said that we're not seeing a velocity issue with Chapman. It's a location issue. Yeah, he might not be walking a ton of people, but if you're throwing a 103-mile-an-hour fastball right down the middle of the plate, they can at least foul it off and then keep going and extend the at-bat and maybe put it in play. But he was locating on Monday night. He's been locating the entire month of September. If you're locating 103 on the outer corner of the plate, the batter is toast. Well, he's also locating that slider too, which is so crucial for him. It, we've talked about his slider, that it's not the greatest slider, but it doesn't have to be. If you have the, the movement that he's had you know, throughout his career with that, with that fastball, um, and then you're throwing at 103 to 104 miles per hour, and then you can throw a get me over slider. I mean, it's not. It, I think I'm not. I'm. I'm not giving it enough credit. It's better than that. Uh, it's not a great slider, but it's a. It's a, a good slider, average to good slider. But that's all it needs to be. And he's got to throw it for strikes, or at least down in the zone, so it looks like a fastball coming out of his hand. Filthy. You can't. You cannot stop that. You cannot stop that. 
does Batances's fastball need to be better than Chapman's slider? If you understand what I'm saying. Yes, it does. Because Chapman can, if, if Chapman's locating that fastball and he's got that movement back on it, it's not flat. It's not getting, it's getting swings and misses. He can live off of that fastball. Right. Batances, if he can't find that fastball and throw it over the plate, then the curveball literally is meaningless. It means nothing because all they do is sit and wait for a curveball. And every single person who comes up in that batter's box will be able to hit it if they're not looking for the fastball. If the fastball is not in the back of the mind of the hitter for for Batances, he's screwed. They're either going to walk or take a really good swing off of that curveball. Yep. And Jared Diamond said it a couple weeks ago when when we had him on. Yeah, Batances has the ability to be maybe the most dominant relief pitcher on any given batter or any given inning in the entire league. It's just that he doesn't do it consistently. Uh, It's extremely frustrating. Um and he wasn't available Tuesday night. They, uh, Girardi went to Green, D-Rob, and, and Chapman to close out the game. Uh, picked up uh, right where CeCe left off, which was six innings and two runs, five strikeouts. He ended up retiring 10 batters in a row after he gave up the homer to Kepler. So Sabathia bounced back after a bad start his last time out. Yeah, and he looked really good. I thought he was, um, you know, once he once he gave up that home run, he locked in. It seems like sometimes CeCe needs that, like, moment of, of uh, you know, trepidation where he can where he can be like, all right, no, no more. That's it. Uh, I'm done at this Alas. point. Yeah, and then just shuts everything down and, like, locks in. So whatever he needs to get to that point. Uh, they bunted on him a couple times, too, to start the game, which was interesting. Yep. So that that definitely, uh, I'm sure, sat well with, uh, with the big man. Um, but honestly, I'm like, okay, I would do it, too. Um, of the, course. Uh, but they, interestingly enough, it worked twice, and then they didn't do it for the rest of the game, which is yeah, why baffling me. I don't if know. If I was a Twins fan, I'd be screaming at the top of my lungs at my TV, bunt, 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 you assholes, bunt, he can't feel this position. Once you lose game one, everything is on the table. Once you lost that first game, you got to come in and win the second game because you got to win the next two games in order to be in this thing. You can't lose two of three. You can't lose three of three. That's for damn sure. You got to go in there and, and walk out with two wins, at least at, at Yankee Stadium. So, yeah, I, I don't know why they weren't trying to scratch anything across. I was thoroughly unimpressed by Jose Barrios, who is the Twins, quote, number two pitcher. I was listening to, um, I think Michael Kay was saying that uh, analysts have, have thought maybe the Twins would consider Barrios to, uh, for a, a wild card start if they needed to. Um, and they'd be comfortable doing it. But I was unimpressed with him. The Yankees got his pitch count up. They walked four times, and he was out of there by the fourth inning. Yeah, that's the beauty about this team. This team is, they, they can definitely work a count. Um, and I, I guess that's talk, that's kind of going against what I said earlier with, with uh, young guys going up there and swinging. I mean, there, there are some, these young guys are some of the, are some disciplined guys. Aaron Judge has come back to that. He, he fell off the wagon for a little bit, being a disciplined um, batter, but it seems like he's he's going for you know the the right side of the field again. It looks like he's trying to kind of inside out that ball and go the other way, um, and and try to lay off those outside pitches. Uh, but then you got the the veteran guys uh, like Ellsbury, who's freaking locked in. Like my god, like he like like it's like it's two thousand four. I don't know. This dude is locked was not in, in the like, league in two thousand four. Whenever yeah. the whenever the hell he was on the the Red Sox <laughs> at that point, this dude was. Uh, 2011 you're thinking of the 2011 season when he uh suspiciously hit 30 home runs the uh but this dude is like locked in like crazy and the the rest of these guys were working the count they obviously had a very good game plan against him to work the count and to get his pitch count up and it worked 
you're right. Ellsbury is completely locked in. Wouldn't it be sweet, sweet irony, or maybe not sweet irony, just irony that if Ellsbury was a main reason why the Yankees made a deep playoff run? It would be it would be amazing. It would be it would pay off his contract and it would uh, justify his contract for the short term for everybody. Oh, yeah. You 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 perform in October. It doesn't matter what they're paying you. Uh, Some numbers on Ellsbury since August 26th, which is uh, pretty much when he took over for Hicks. He's batting 397, 29 for 73 with 12 extra base hits. Just for fun, I looked up how many extra base hits he had prior to August 26th, and he had 18. So he's almost matched, not almost matched, but 12 compared to 18. But 18 was over the course of four months. Bottom line is the guy's locked in at the right time. Aaron Hicks, uh, who I've heard is taking some swings and such. I mean, come on, he's not coming back. I don't, I don't see how they could possibly bring back even if he was healthy. I don't know how he could. Uh, you could even remotely think about bringing him in um, for for any kind of a playoff run. The guy's going to need to get at bats, get back, and he's going to need like a, a brief spring training basically um, mm-hmm. to get back. So I, I just think he's running out of time at this point. So Ellsbury's the guy. I mean, he's going to be the guy. Uh, his confidence is at a, a very, very high level at this point. And he looks like he's having fun. The emotionless outfielder that we've seen for a while playing this team is actually looking like he's having fun. He's buying in to the thumbs down, to the, the camaraderie on the rest of the team. And that's a good thing. If, 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 if I almost called him Johnny Damon just then. If Jacoby Ellsbury is buying into the, the team camaraderie, you know you got everybody. It's amazing what not getting booed in front of 50,000 people will do to, to your psyche. Why didn't he do this a long time ago then? <laughs> no clue. You mentioned briefly Aaron Judge is looking patient again. He had uh, two home runs in the series, both to right field. The one on Wednesday, which got the Yankees back in the game, was right down the right field line. It was his 45th homer of the season. He's reached the 100 RBI milestone. He's already walked 100 times. 100 walks, 100 RBIs, 45 home runs. As a rookie, big pitcher, grand scheme of things, unbelievably ridiculous season for Judge. In the month of September, he's batting 262, which if his batting average is at 262, I think you and I are both okay with it. And he's got eight homers and 19 RBIs. I'm really happy that he was able to get, come back and, and find this, find his swing and, and end the season on a good note. Granted, there's another week and a half still, but you know it looks like he really has has come back and and found that approach. And I, I I truly believe that it was an approach thing. Like there was something going on where he was pulling out too much, trying to pull the ball to to left field, and for whatever reason got off the uh, the the approach to go the other way. And and that's really where he needs to be. I, I wholeheartedly believe that because um, what we're doing is we're seeing success now with him going the other way. So awesome to see him back because. You know, it would have been it would have been kind of a, a little bit of a mark, a little bit of a black mark for everybody. Would, you know, it would have been it would have given everybody that freaking thing to say. Oh, but um, it was only the first half. So he's kind of shutting everybody up by coming back and in very meaningful baseball, playing good baseball. Yeah, he's not a hundred percent. He's like he's never going to be a hundred percent back to what he was in in April, May, June. That was a ridiculous. But stretch. we agree on that. We're not expecting that. But what he's doing now is still very, very productive, a huge asset to the Yankees. Uh, and I think if he continues this over the next 10 games, MVP is back in play for him. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting that that's even, a, that's even a complete conversation that Aaron Judge, one, he's got the, the, um, the uh, rookie of the year locked up. I mean, people kept saying, Ben Attendee, get the, get the F out of here. Ben Attendee can't, can't hold his jock. 
at this point. Aaron Judge is a man amongst boys when it comes to Ben Attendee. Please. The, the man is also the first guy to hit 100 RBIs. I tweeted this out the other day. In the Yankee uniform since 2013. That's crazy. Uh, He's the first remember? guy to have 100 RBIs since 2013 for as a Yankee? As a Yankee. Huh. Wow. What was that, Cano? Robbie Cano. Yeah. Year before that. That's, that's crazy. Even in 2015, you'd figure like they, the offense had a great year in 2015. McCann, or McCann was, or uh, I think he hit like 97 at one of those points. But yeah, they okay. haven't had a 100 RBI guy since uh, since Robbie Cano in 13. And then 12 was Granderson. I think there was a couple a couple guys. I think the Sheriff may have gotten it as well. And then the year before that, when I was looking up, there were three guys. So they they definitely hit. You could see where where the players got old. You know, yeah. like after after 2013, it's like oh, you know, yeah. like everybody's body just broke down. Cano got, uh, you know, is out of town, and and then everybody is. Uh, we're waiting for this power. Where where do the Bronx Bombers go? And and the the ever um, the overwhelming glaring problem with the team and the construction of the team at that point was so freaking apparent because they couldn't score unless the ball left the ballpark and nobody was hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Severino today, we, we sort of talked about it earlier, how the Yankees shuffled their rotation. On the last episode, we talked about how the Yankees were hiding him from Minnesota. Now they're not hiding from Minnesota. He pitched on Wednesday, did not pitch great. Three innings, 71 pitches. He was, I don't want to say hit hard because there was a few balls that just squeaked through the infield, but he didn't look good. Maurer had a really tough at-bat against him that was kind of a back-breaking at-bat for, for Severino. And the Yankees, or Jordy yanked him after that third inning. The, the whole, I think they were overthinking the whole rotation and Severino thing. What they're doing now is just getting him on schedule, and I think that's probably the right move rather than just hiding him from Minnesota because I don't even know how much that really helps. Well, conspiracy theory, two, one, Severino's said that he wants to stay on schedule. That's where he feels most comfortable. So there was some miscommunication either with the media and Joe or Joe with Severino or somebody wasn't talking to somebody about that because that's pretty important to know that your pitcher is more comfortable at a certain point. You know, pretty much what he's been doing all season long. Um, and two, conspiracy theory is Severino still did not show against Minnesota, came out, threw some nonsense and be like, okay, you think this is what you're going to get. I love this. Tuesday night. You think you're going to get this, but not so much. You're going to get a very different guy. You're going to get a man possessed on Tuesday night. What I'm showing you today is a very is is the 2016 version of Luis Severino, the starter. That's I love this. Saw. He's he's rope doping him. Yeah, and and he knew the offense was like, don't worry, Sevy, go out and do it. We're going to put up 11 runs today. No worries. So uh, that's a great theory. I, I think it's it was really it was it was a, it was a bold move. One that I think will pay off. <laughs> Let's see if it pays off. The, the communication thing, though, is, is weird because... So Girardi never came out and said that we're hiding Severino from Minnesota. That was all speculation by the media. But he did line up the rotation, so Severino was not going to pitch against Minnesota. So it was obvious to connect the dots there and say, okay, they're hiding him. So, But don't you think if, if um, before he set his rotation, which was Garcia on Monday... Sabathia on Tuesday, and then Tanaka was supposed to pitch on Wednesday. Don't you think before Girardi publicly said that, he would have at least gone to Severino and said, hey, here's my plan. Are you comfortable with this? Yeah, and in, in all honesty, that conversation very well could have happened, and Girardi just threw something out. Maybe there was some gamesmanship with Molitor. I don't know. There could have been a million things that happened behind the doors that we don't know about, that Severino 
did have that conversation with Joe and he was just kind of putting it down. And maybe it was a fluid situation. Maybe it was like, oh, let's see how your bullpen session does between starts and you can tell me then. But for now, we'll put Tanaka in that spot. You know what I mean? Like there could have been a million different conversations that could have led to Girardi doing what he did with the initial rollout of the um, of the way that the the rotation was going to go for the twin series. So I, I'm not going to look too much into it. I think there was a communication thing more on the media side, honestly, that blew up more. Uh, probably that that's a higher percentage chance than, than it was on the Yankee side. We got the question on Twitter right before we started recording that should we be concerned with the Severino start? And I am not concerned at all. If anything, uh, this makes me more confident for Severino against a twins matchup in the wild card because we've seen Seve get pissed off before. And when he's pissed off, uh, Severino is good Severino. Yeah, I don't think it matters. I don't think they saw, I mean, they saw three innings of this guy. Wasn't great. Maurer had a great at-bat against him. I mean, that was, what, 13 pitches. Um, so they did see a lot at that point. I don't know. There were some soft hit balls getting with the with the runners on. Um, and then there were some timely hits. Maurer had a hit. And then what was it? Polanco who had the, the next uh, RBI that, uh, he could have gotten out of that inning with that even just a Maurer. I think there was one out at that point, and only one run scored. Bases were still loaded, I believe, and then Polanco scored two on his hit. But mm-hmm. um, so he could have gotten out of it, but Polanco jumped on that. I believe it was the first pitch. Yeah. Uh, so this was it was just I don't know. It was just it was timely hitting. Severino didn't have it. I'm not going to read too much into it. Yeah. A couple more notes from this Minnesota series. Uh, first of all, Chase Headley got hit in the dick, so he's probably got some black and blue, black and blue balls. And also, Didi passed Jeter by hitting his 25th home run. Yeah, we expected uh, Didi to do this, right? This was something that we talked about. He had 24. Uh, 25 was almost inevitable. And he does it in, in grand fashion. Uh, a three-run three shot, throws the bat by accident, or I don't know if it just comes out of his hand, and nails the catcher, stops, apologizes, then runs to first base. It's a great. He's the best. It's a great video. It really is. Like this guy just passed Jeter's mark for most home runs by a shortstop in Yankees freaking history, and he's like stopping to like, oh my bad, dude. Like the manners came first before the rest of the stuff. He's just such a nice dude. Him and Chase Headley are like the nicest guys in the world. Didi just <laughs> performs so well, and you know, in game, I mean, like he's the competitors even like, sorry man, my bad, didn't mean to throw the bat at you, but let me go, um, let me go get these three runs and knock you guys out of the playoffs. He would be at 30 home runs if he didn't miss the entire month of April. And, yeah. I, and I, I think you need to, not you, but people need to take a step back and consider a 30 home run shortstop is freaking insane. You no, know, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, that's, that's A-Rod. <laughs> that's what A-Rod was doing. A-Rod was putting up 30 home runs, 100 RBIs. That's where Didi would be right now. He would be around that 30, uh, 30 home run mark and around the 100 RBI mark. He would be right around those two marks. And when you see that type of level from uh, that, that type of uh, out, uh, output from a shortstop, you're talking about like back in the day when the shortstop was a power position. That's crazy. Uh, he's not, he probably will only, maybe he will get some MVP votes, but I think Didi deserves MVP votes. He's not going to win it. He shouldn't win it. But he needs to be recognized for how important he is to the Yankees. And I think you and I said he's, didn't we say he's the second most important position player behind Gary Sanchez going into the season? Yeah, and you know it's crucial that he continued to to show that he was improving. I mean, I think he had such a good year last year. There was really nothing to say that he was going to fall back from that. I mean, everything he was doing was just you could tell his game was getting better. It wasn't like one of those fluky years where he had just kind of weird inflated numbers. You could just tell he was getting better as a player, and I think that started with him hitting left-handed pitching because when he came to the Yankees, 
he was abysmal hitting left-handed pitching. I, I was who did I hear the story from? I think it was Teixeira or somebody, where they when Didi came over to the Yankees, he was like one of the worst, um, one of the worst at left-handed pitching, and they would break it down to like very minimal stuff, like little league shit, uh, with him trying to get him to hit left left-handed pitching, and he just kept working at it and working at it and working at it and working at it. So this is a testament to him putting in the time and and perfecting his craft as a uh, as a well-rounded batter from from the left side. So um man, it's just it's really cool to see good people that do awesome things off the field and on the field succeed. And when he's on your team, it makes it that much better. If you want to hear us also talk about Didi for 10 extra minutes, go listen to the last episode because we were gushing about Didi in that episode too. A uh, final thing, I did you mentioned it. I did meet Johnny Damon on Monday night. That was the reason I was at the game. Uh, we were, I was there for an event. We thought I was going to maybe get an interview that we were going to play on the podcast with Johnny Damon, but he, he had to back out last minute. I did get a picture with him though. And I did make sure to tell him that I will never forgive him for that grand slam in 2004. And he had a great response to it. He goes, yeah, all I've done for that city of Boston and they boot me out of town. I love it. <laughs> I love bitter, that there's bitter still bitterness. Shit. Yeah. Still bitterness. Cause you know, he's not going back. I don't know how many promotional things he's doing in Boston, Probably not that many, right? I mean, he's still even he was though there for the '04 like World Series, yeah. But that's uh, different. Reunion. I'm I'm talking like he's at Yankee Stadium for this was a, an event. Um, this was a corporate event that that we kind of had a connection to. And Johnny Damon's the guy going into Yankee Stadium as a Yankee. He's not doing those type of things in Boston, from what right. I understand. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's uh, I have a feeling a lot of people up in Boston still now, even after 2004, because they're freaking spoiled after 2004 when that was like the greatest year in Boston history, and they forget about that because they have won since then. And Johnny Damon is dead to them. It's interesting that how Damon's career because he had one of the most backbreaking moments if you're a Yankees fan in, in Yankees history that 2004 Grand Slam and now he shows up to Old Timers Day like could you have imagined back then when he had the long hair and the beard and he was one of the the freaking idiots with Kevin Millar that we'd be inviting Johnny Damon to Old Timers Day and giving him a standing ovation because he's pretty loved in Yankees communities yeah it's weird I honestly. <laughs> I never really warmed up to him as being a Yankee that, you know, maybe later I, I finally did 2009, like, okay, <laughs> but I never really warmed up. I, I just, it was for whatever reason, maybe I was just at that point in my life where I was just bitter and like pissed off at Boston still. And just like, I hated them with a passion. Um, uh, so I never really got over that whole thing, but yeah, he's, he's definitely a, uh, a guy that people have admiration for in New York and talk about a complete 180. Yeah. Good stuff. Anything else you want to say before we get out of here? You know, this has been a, this, this last series was a lot of fun. Um, the Yankees got to keep grinding and putting their heads down, man, and just keep playing this, this, uh, this whole thumbs down thing has taken the world by storm. We put out a bunch of t-shirts, go look them up. Frazier uh, took a picture with the entire team with the shirt. So they're embracing it. And I love that they, they do this type of thing where they, they get a t-shirts and they take pictures together and like just shit like that to show the world like, hey, we're together. It's just it, it's just proof that these guys are really, really gelling. And 
it doesn't matter if you think it's stupid or if you don't think it's stupid or whatever you think about this whole thumbs down thing. You like the guy, you don't like that, you're sick of the guy, whatever. The bottom line is the team is rallying around it and it's working inside the clubhouse. And I think most of the fan base does like it. But inside the clubhouse, it's working. And little dumb shit like this can be so instrumental for a team getting very hot and gelling in September and into October. So I don't hate it till after the season. I haven't seen anyone really hitting on the thumbs down thing. I, I've seen a couple of people like, okay, I'm, I'm I'm sick of it. But was it after the Yankees put the 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 big fatso on the scoreboard when Todd Frazier hit a home run the other night? I, I think I think most of it has come because that guy is uh, stepping out. Like the Yes Network did an interview with him and did that little bit. Yeah. You know, I think I think that is what's like. Okay, maybe they're just more annoyed. Like, all right, guy, go but, fade back, fade back into uh, you know your apartment in Queens and and. You know, we'll, we will uh, we'll, we'll carry on with a thumbs down, but it's really not you. It's just a thumbs down. But here's the thing. Why are we as fans mad about the Yankees or the Yes Network trying to capitalize on a viral thing that happened on Twitter? We're all doing the same thing. We, Bronx Pinstripes, are doing the same thing. Every other fan's tweeting out that, that dude's gif and thumbs down signs. The Yankees are just doing the same thing. Fans get so mad over the dumbest shit. Honestly, I think it's probably also a lot of just like other fans leaking into the the Yankees Twitter world that that are just disguised at this point, just just completely trolling. Um, the mo- the majority of the fans that I have talked to on Twitter and just seen doing things, everybody's loving it. I mean, it's again, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's you know the thumbs down or some other slogan or whatever that whatever it is, it's working in the clubhouse, and that's the most important thing. And they're buying it, and that's all that matters. Amen to that. Ten games before the wild card. Hopefully they've got the division. We'll talk to you guys in a few days. Hold on just one second. One thing we forgot to get to, and it's because we get wrapped up in baseball that we forgot about this one topic that we really wanted to talk about. So I wanted to jump on before we threw out the podcast today and just talk quickly about that little girl who got hit in what what it looked like, I guess, the head or somewhere in a very bad spot. If you were watching the game, you could tell the immediate impact of uh, of what happened on the players faces just the, the way that it was written all over their face what had happened that it was a bad injury um, it was the if you're not familiar it was the foul ball off the bat of uh, Todd Frazier who instantly just had this look like you know the worst thing in the world happened you saw Matt Holiday on first base you know having tears in his eyes obviously probably thinking of his kids in the stands look there's no reason at this point for that net to not be pulled across and extended down by towards the dugout. These foul balls are going in the stands like rockets. If you look down for one second, people are like, oh, pay attention. No, you can't pay attention every second of the game. There are kids doing things that kids will do. It's just not practical by saying pay attention every second. This type of thing can happen so damn fast. Major League Baseball needs to extend the nets. There's no reason for them not to. People pay a ridiculous amount of money to sit behind home plate because they like it. There's a net there. What's the problem? Crowd safety, children's safety is absolutely paramount in this situation. And there's really no reason for it. I I don't know if Major League Baseball or, or Randy Levine or whomever is waiting for something very, very bad to happen because it very well might have. We don't really know the complete outcome of what the girl's status is. You're getting... Reports in saying maybe surgery. Who knows? I'm not going to speculate on that. Um, there's obviously privacy with her condition. So we hope Andrew and I, I know, are on the same page of this. Our, our best wishes to the little girl and her family. And hopefully 
the Yankees and the rest of baseball, whoever doesn't have these nets, can just open their eyes. It's not that big of a deal. Extend the nets. All right, guys, we'll talk to you. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.